Thomas Ashman with Ashman Athletics. You want to give everybody your uh, handles? How's it going, guys? Uh, I'm Tommy Ashman. You can find me at Ashman Athletics on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. That's cool. That's cool. So um, Contessa Contour is in school, so she isn't uh, able to join us on this podcast here. But uh, me and Tommy, we probably have some grown-up stuff to talk about anyway, right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's not actually uh, too bad of a thing. But, yeah, man. So how you been? It's been quite some time that we've uh, been talking. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, been a trip, man. You know, now now that I think about it, like I've known you for it's has it been almost three years? Yeah. December twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Just about. Yeah. So I mean it's been a roller coaster since I met you. That's cool. Because cool. when we met, I was still living in my car. I just started living in my car and yeah. traveling the country. Yeah. And uh then I did that for eight months and then I went back home. I had an internship. Uh went Where did back you intern at? I interned at uh, Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. I was okay. training hockey players and okay. doing stuff like that. And then I had another job working in a bar. And then uh, I got back into college, did one semester and realized I learned more road trip in the country and listening to audiobooks and yeah. trying to start a business than I ever would in college. So I dropped out, uh, started working again as a stretch therapist, and then just hustling on the side with personal training and figuring out what I would do for business. And then, you know, in January, all the Dragon Slayer stuff started taking off and that's pretty much been my life ever since. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Isn't it interesting how like you try to get yourself in a position where you're going to school, you're trying to take the right road in order to create a certain sense of success and then the more and more you experience life, the more and more you realize life is going to be the greatest teacher of all times. Oh, absolutely. And I think the the societal structure of success and its definition of it is so different than what actual success in life is, mm-hmm. both I mean, financially, very literally, spiritually, physically, like so many people think of success and they think, okay, like a college graduate or a grad school graduate making a six figure income, you know, working some prestigious job at a fortune 500 company, family, kids can afford healthcare, all these things. And like, when I think about what success is for me, it's not really any of those things. Like Mm -hmm. I, I would say at one point I was conditioned to believe that like having a doctorate would make me successful. And as a, as a 25 year old and like looking at people who are my age and who stayed in school and who dropped out and who finished one degree or who's working on a second degree or third, the way I see success is so much more like, what does this person's waking hours look like from mm-hmm. the time they get up to the time they go to bed? What does their life look like? And that's the only way I measure success now. Yeah. Yeah. I think success is always based on, so for me, I feel like success is based on how you see things morally as a person. For me, when I grew up, I had such a different, diverse way of life where I've told you before, we've talked about how yeah. like I, I lived in the hood, but then I was bust into a nicer school. Um, so I kind of seen two spectrums of life. So for me, 
I knew them. I knew the concept of being able to do things the wrong way to accomplish something. And I also learned the concept of being able to do things the right way to accomplish something. So success became a very moral type of uh, thing for me, where I felt like my success was based on my moral compass. Whatever it was, I felt like was the right thing or the, or, or the wrong thing to do. That's what gave me a sense of accomplishment because I had so much uh, ability to take the wrong road. So I, I, I like, you know, how you explained it. And yeah, for me, success was just always based on that. It was always based on what can I accomplish for Cam? Like, what can I do for me? Like, if I if I get up every morning, put two feet on the ground and I accomplish something in that day, in my mind, I'm a successful person because I'm doing something um, every day. And hopefully I'm doing something a little bit better uh, today than I did tomorrow. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. So speaking of success, a lot of people have been talking about this question. Um, a lot of people have, uh, it's been some um, adversity or in some uh, disagreements about this. So I'm going to ask you the question that everybody's been talking about. Would you take $500,000 cash or would you do dinner with Jay-Z? Oh, I would take $500,000 cash immediately. Why would you take the 500000 Because all of the information is already out there. There's nothing that I would get out of that lunch with Jay-Z that I couldn't get both from listening to all of his music, which if I had 500 grand in cash, I'd, I'd certainly be having the time to do so. And uh, also I have access to the internet, audiobooks, physical books. Um, I could hire a coach. I could, with 500 grand cash, I could pay for an investor to invest it for me. I have the entrepreneurial skills I need to take that money and turn it into millions. So yeah, yeah the cash immediately. Yeah. So I have, so I'm weird where I see things from two different perspectives. Now for myself personally, I definitely would take the fucking money. Like, yeah, <laughs> hands down taking the 500,000 and I'm investing in some stuff. I'm putting some stuff to the side. I'm opening up a couple of, uh, you know, CD accounts, you know, I'm creating yeah. another corporation where I can, you know, pull an EIA number so that I can pull, um, equity out of, you know, the company, you know, so on and so forth. However, I think it's something to say for somebody who may not have, um, I don't want to be harsh, but I, you know, it's, it's my humble opinion. So yeah, if you're somebody that doesn't have a financially stabling background and you don't know how to work with money, I actually would say take the dinner. And, and here's why. Here's why. If you're talking to somebody who takes $500,000, right, and they have no experience of being fiscally sound, they, they haven't run a company, um, they, you know, they worked a nine to five, They're, they've lived a very normal type of lifestyle, it's going to be very hard to have somebody change their mentality um, financially. It's going to be hard to get yeah, somebody I mean, to realize, hey, 
maybe you shouldn't go, you know, buy this watch for twenty thousand dollars. Well, maybe. that's also the same reason why most lottery winners end up in the same place they exactly. were two years later. Exactly. So what I would advise somebody to do that didn't have a background in being fiscally sound, I would say take the dinner. And the reason why I would say take the dinner is because in business, when you're starting out, relationships are always more valuable. So creating um, a relationship with somebody like Jay-Z, it opens you to, it gives you access to so many more opportunities. It gives you access to so many more ways of um, growing and learning, and it gives you access to find out how not to mess up. So for a perfect example, like I met this guy, um, his name was, we'll say his name was Matt. I met Matt maybe four or five years ago. No, I'll take that back, maybe about 10 years ago. Um, long story short, he wanted to invest in one of my companies. And at the time, I didn't want to do that just because I was still growing. Um, I had I still had fight in me. So I, I kind of wanted to see how far I can take certain things. And um, instead of allowing him to be part of the company, we just became good friends. But in that, not taking the money and, and being in a position where we were just friends, I gained access to his knowledge. So I was able to learn how many times he messed up. I was able to have conversations with him about what to do and what not to do. I was able to meet different people that he knew just from you know, being around him, having that dinner with him, having that relationship with him. Yeah. I, I remember one time we were in Atlanta, we were at this Mexican restaurant and um, we were sitting down eating and he invited a whole bunch of people over. And, um, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm having conversations with him because I was familiar with him. But when we're leaving the restaurant, he's like, oh, yeah, this guy is worth this much. And this guy is worth that much. And me just having conversations with these people, telling them, hey, I build, you know, furniture. Or, hey, I designed this, that and the third. I shit you not. I think I may have made off of that dinner, off of that um, outing with him. And the conversations I had um, around the people he knew, I legitimately probably made, if I'm being um, conservative, maybe fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Wow. Just, just because you know, hey, I'm Cam. I do this, that, and the third. Yeah. I, and I'm giving this person my heart. And then the thing about it is, it spirals out. So now I got Matt that I know. Matt, you know, I know Matt. I've done work for Matt or I'm a, I'm a friend with Matt, but then now I know Veronica. Now I know Alex. Now I know, you know, Tom. Now I know, you know, all these other people that derive from meeting him and it creates such a bigger spectrum of, um, of, um, access to, to become a little bit more, um, successful and, and, a, and a lot more stable. Cause like I said, at the same time, I'm learning what people do wrong. Like even with him, he was a very successful person. But when I first met him, he owned a whole bunch of title maxes in Atlanta. And um, he ended up buying into a restaurant company and he was taking a lot of his money from title max in order to fund the restaurant. So a lot of his capital that he was making from a lucrative business, he was pouring into a business that wasn't as lucrative. It wasn't as successful. So I learned the concept 
of you know not pouring my money in or knowing when to knowing when to shut something down, knowing when to not pour my money in, you know, right. certain things. So I think there is um I think depending on the person you are, um it, it, it would behoove you to probably take that dinner because you may learn. Well, that's key because you said depending on the person you are. And you're like – and that's important because, I mean, you're the kind of person where you could have that dinner with Jay-Z and maybe you your character impresses him and he thinks, oh, this is a person who's going somewhere. This is someone yeah. I want to have a relationship with. Yeah. You know, and me as a 25-year-old, maybe I could do that too. Yeah. But if I was the same age as I am now – and I had zero financial literacy and I was in debt and I was broke and I have that launch with Jay-Z and I come in and I'm like, Oh, Jay-Z, I'm such a huge fan. Can we take a picture? He's going to be sitting there the whole time, super uncomfortable. Yeah. I, just want, I just want this to be over. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not how a relationship is great. So there has to be some level of common ground already established. And I feel like the education necessary, <laughs> excuse me. Mm-hmm. I feel like the education necessary to have that common ground to even have a, a good conversation with Jay-Z like that is enough education to know to take the 500 grand. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, if I was at a point where I'm already worth millions and I don't even need 500 grand and it's like, oh, okay, I'll watch Jay-Z, why not? Because yeah. when, because even if I paid Jay-Z 500 grand, he doesn't need the 500 grand. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's like, maybe it is worth more at that point. But yeah. How quick do you think you could flip the five hundred thousand? That's a good question. I and it's also flip into what? That's just how quick could I double it? How quick could I ten x it? So let's say this: if you got the five hundred thousand today, is the twenty seventh of October two thousand twenty three at one thirty four p.m. Right? Yeah. And you got five hundred thousand today. Bit like how you said, based on your knowledge and the person you are, where do you think that five hundred? What what could you turn that five hundred thousand dollars into? October twenty seventh of two thousand twenty four, one year. I think based on where my life is at now, I probably would not take an extremely risky decision. Mm-hmm. I think the move I would make would be to buy real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would split it up. Um, I would definitely want to go with multifamily properties, probably in uh, probably in Chicagoland because I know that area well enough to know where the right places to invest are, mm-hmm. and I have enough connections in Chicago that I could get construction done properly. Um, those types of things. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'd probably want to just buy land in various places that I think is going to go up. Um, land in southern Illinois especially and just central Illinois where it's likely that they're going to start building wind farms because that land's going to skyrocket in price once they start mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, Looking into places that they want to build solar farms, wind farms, all kinds of things like that. Buying that land and investing in those things. There's a lot of government subsidies that go for that. So that would be how I'd... Uh, put a large portion of the money towards. Hmm. Um, if I wanted to start a company with it, I would probably look at uh, boring businesses, laundromats, car rentals, yeah. Yeah. things like that. For sure. um, 
I would probably take some of it and put it towards Ashman Athletics. The more boring, the better. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, I would definitely want to take some of it and put it towards Ashman Athletics, but as far as, like, making high-risk decisions to flip it fast, I'm not really there. I started Ashman Athletics with literally $600, and it's turned into a six-figure company this year. Hell, yeah. So. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's a wild feeling. Like, I'm still looking at the numbers. I'm like, oh, shit, I did six figures in sales. I didn't think that would happen, but. um. I want to see how far I can go with just the money with the company itself. Whereas taking more money and putting in it, I know it's not cheating, but it sort of feels like cheating is mm-hmm. in terms of like what I want the company mission to be. Cause what I want it to be is literally it is built off quality and hard work and showing that you don't need all this capital to start a massive company that you can actually start from the ground up and build something like that. Yeah. I remember when we first met, I told you, I'm like, man, you don't have to have any money to do this. Yeah. Like, you just gotta have a determination to to do whatever it is you want to do. An EIN number is free. Uh, Facebook account, Instagram account, all these things is, is free. Canva, what's fourteen bucks a month? Yep, some shit like that. So it's like you definitely can. If you're in a position where you feel like you have to wait until you have capital to start a business, it's gonna it's gonna be a while for you to really. Um, appreciate the concept of really growing and like how you said really doing something organically where you have something that is a baby to you that's precious to you yeah so also to to loop back to relationships because what you were talking about with uh matt makes me think about a lot of my time on the road because i was i was working with you uh so the backstory of me and cam's relationship yeah yeah we had to tell him the backstory i'll let you go i uh was at a very low point in my life during the pandemic. And the thing I decided to do to kind of turn my life around was move into my car and road trip the country because I'd been working as a martial arts instructor and a few other odd, odd jobs, sales, lifeguarding, just kind of whatever I could do. But when all the gyms shut down, there was nothing I could do. Yeah, it was, it was, so that was I moved crazy. into my car with the intention of finding various odd jobs on Craigslist and paying for myself to road trip the country like that. And the very first job I found was working in Cam's wood shop at the time. And uh, on the second day of work, Cam asked me, you know, what I'm doing with my life, with my plan, like what brought me to, you know, kind of the middle of nowhere, Georgia. It's a town called Cumming, spelled exactly how you're thinking. And uh, I told him I'm doing this road trip. And he goes, oh, okay, well, I want to drive two pool tables up to Detroit and Chicago. I'll pay you to do it. And I'm like, how much? He goes, well, you said 350, right? I can't remember. I think, I think it was 350 and you said I could negotiate. And I said, could you yeah, do 400? Yeah. And you said 375. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. He rented me a truck and uh, yeah, just hit the road, drove up, came back down. And then he taught me how to start uh, a company from there. So I created my first company, Sunny's Logistics, where I Cam was both my first client and my mentor. And I delivered dozens of pool tables over the next six months. Then I started transporting other stuff as well, statues. I uh, transported a Tiffany lamp, large amounts of jewelry, all kinds of things like that. So um, that's how I learned to start a company from the get-go. But what's interesting is the entire time I was doing that, you know, I deliver pool tables to people, every single person who 
I'm delivering a pool table to is someone who can afford a pool table in their house. Mm-hmm. If you can afford a pool table and afford to spend thousands of dollars on what is very literally a vanity piece of furniture, mm-hmm. you, you have to have room for it. it. It doesn't serve any purpose other than to have fun. Then you have money. So I'm building pool tables in people's houses and basically getting a free two hour conversation with all these people who can do this. And before I went on that road trip, I never really had conversations with successful people in a way where I was learning from them. But in getting these conversations day after day after day, multiple times a week, I started to realize I am capable of being this successful for myself. Combined with the fact that I was listening to audiobooks on all of the drives and just absorbing information about business, life philosophy, how money works, how the world works, better communication styles, all these things, and then getting to practice those skills with actual successful people. That's how I built up my education uh, about business and life. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was interesting. When I first met Tommy, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to tell this story. So, like, uh, I told him this, like, a few days ago. I actually had, like, uh, it may have been, no exaggeration, I think I had 13 people at, at my shop at the time. And, um, you know, business, like he said, it was the pandemic. So, it was, like, things were, it was weird because, like, in, in the manufacturing industry, the pandemic actually boosted just because people were so freaking bored. They were buying leisure items. And then you had some companies that they were getting all of these um, PPP loans and things like that. So, you know, they were kind of just, you know, expending money that they, you know, free money kind of that, uh, you know, they probably shouldn't have been spending on, you know, certain things. But uh, it was it was a it, it was the highest point of the business at the time. Just because I was actually selling, you know, selling the company and things like that as well. But uh I had like 13 people in the shop and I got so tired of getting robbed, man. Like it's crazy how many people either try to take your idea, take your tools or jip you on your money. And I shit you not, I may have fired like 12, no, 10 people because there may have been two people there when you got there that day. Yeah. So I fired like 10 people. No, there were three. Three. Okay. So yeah, I fired. Yep. So I fired 10 people. And uh, that was a crazy day for me because I'm just like going, you know, I was I may have been spending four or five thousand dollars a day at that time, just overhead, you know, just getting stuff out, uh, paying everybody, you know, buying lunch, you know, crazy stuff like that. And uh, so I put a Craigslist ad. I'm like, you know, I'm, you know, forget it. I'm, you know, just get some quick help real quick. Put a Craigslist ad out. I'm getting ready you know, for the day I'm upstairs in my man cave and I have the security system for my shop set up on my TV. And, uh, I'm sitting there brushing my teeth and shit. I walk out my bathroom and I look at my screen where the security system is set up. And there's just this kid, just bright eyed and bushy tailed on my fucking desk, sitting in my chair, just drinking a coffee and taking a selfie. And I'm like, who in the hell is this kid, right? So I call the shop and I'm like, I think it was Kelly. I called, oh no, it was Miguel. Yeah. I called Miguel. I had this guy there. That's a whole nother story. Miguel, shit, he was a piece of work. 
But I, I called uh, Miguel. And I'm like, yo, who's sitting at my desk? And he goes, it's the kid you hired. And I'm like, the kid I hired? At that point, I'm thinking, what the fuck? Because, like I said, the day before, it was so crazy. So, like, yeah. I even I forgot I even did the post. I forgot you sent me your ID because he sent me his ID and everything like oh, yeah. before you came. So I'm just like, yo, if you don't tell this kid to get the hell off of my desk right now, we're going to have some problems. But that was my first interaction with Tommy. Right. But it was nothing wrong with that. Like, it was weird. It was like, I get it. And like like how he said, he's like, I didn't even think I was being arrogant. Yeah, so from my perspective, there was. In the, in the office, there were two stumps and an office chair. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to sit on a stump if I'm waiting here for the guy to come tell me what to do. I'm going to sit in the Yeah, I'm going to sit at his desk. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to. I'm going to sit at his desk like I'm the mob boss. Like, yeah. like, like, I'm, the, like I'm the person in charge. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm going to shake him down. Like, that's, that's a shakedown. That's like, the way you did that was like when... I don't know, like, uh, how do you say this? Like, the cops come into your place and they sit at your desk and tell you what you're going to do for them. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> like, are you shitting me right now, bro? Oh, my God. So, yeah, that's that That was the first thing. But, like I always tell him, it, I, I after knowing his character, I knew it wasn't anything disrespectful. But it was aspiration, right? It was like, it was the concept of, like he said, when I first met him, he goes, I'm on a quest. I'm like, you're on a fucking quest? What? <laughs> he said, I'm on a, I'm on a quest I'm on across a quest. America. All right. Yeah, yeah. So when yeah, when I met him, he's like, man, I'm on a quest across America. I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, I get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, I think, it, I think the concept of you doing that, though, in all seriousness, it showed aspiration to want to be better. It showed, you know, that you want it to be somewhere. Like you said, you didn't want to sit on a stump. Some people are going to shop and understand, hey, I got, you know, that's the only spot to sit. But when you see something better and you want that and you see the uh, the difference there, I think that speaks volumes. But, uh, yeah, that was always my um, first interaction with Tommy. But it also made me respect him. Well, first of all, I like arrogant people. I like assholes. I like confident people. Because I feel like if you don't have the confidence in yourself, who's going to have confidence in you? Yeah. When I was younger, I wanted to be a rapper. Go figure. Right. And uh, my dad, he knew this guy who had a music studio. And I just knew for sure because the guy had a music studio and he knew my dad, I was going to be able to go in there and lay down some tracks and stuff like yeah. that. You record. Yeah. So... I go, oh, you think I can record? He goes, yeah, you got some money? He goes, how much money do you have? And I said, well, I don't really have nothing right now. I said, but you know, you know my dad, this, that, and the third. And he goes, whoa. He said, hold on. He said, I'm going to tell you right now. If you're not able to invest in yourself, nobody else is going to take you seriously. Period. He said, it doesn't even necessarily have to be money. He said, even if you would have came in here and had uh, something that you recorded on a, a cassette tape and let me listen to it and and show me that you're invested in yourself, then maybe we can talk. But he said, in order to get anybody to take you seriously, you have to show that you can invest in yourself. So that's that's huge. Yeah. So that's that, huge. And a lot of people need to hear that nowadays. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a big thing, it's, it's, especially nowadays with um, 
the way the world is. I mean, you see a lot of artists out here that they invest in themselves. They'll, you know, they'll do whatever it is they have to do. And then they, you know, then they're able to be, you know, uh, signed or they're able to be seen and uh, things like that. But yeah, I think, uh, like I said, meeting you and, and, and seeing that personality trait that you had, it was like, okay, you're investing in yourself. Uh, you know what you want to do. You, no matter how crazy things get throughout your journey, you did what you wanted to do because it was something that you set your mind to do. Determination and investing in yourself is going to always be important. Um, those were a lot of qualities that I've seen in you and always having a, a goal. When I told you something, you cared enough to listen. You cared enough to write it down. I can't tell you how many guys that I hired, man, countless, countless of dudes, men, uh, older men, uh, younger men. And I'll sit there and I'll try to give them game. I'll try to explain something to them and it'll go one ear and out the other. Cause at the end of the day, they were just looking for a paycheck. But when you came, you were looking for knowledge. So, in, in 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 my mind, you you had the dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah, you had the dinner instead that's, of. That's the thing about quests, and I feel like that word. It sounds so you know like mythical and medieval, and oh, I'm on a quest. But like, if you look at what the word quest means, it's basically a journey of asking questions. Quest mm-hmm. and question are are similar words, mm-hmm. and. When you, like, if you play a video game and you're on a quest in the game, you go around and you talk to various characters and you do missions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's like a boss battle in there. But like, what it really is, is you're finding out information to progress yourself and get further in your journey by asking those questions. So, and what it's really about is finding the right questions to ask. And the, the answer to a question always leads to the next question. So, I mean, for the time I was working for you, I was basically, we, we'd be in the woodshop working. I'd just be interviewing you about stuff and all learning the time. about stuff all the, time. the entire time. And I'm writing stuff down. Mm-hmm. And then it's making me rethink and ask more questions. And then, you know, I can take those questions and research them. And it's, that's the whole point, though. And I still yeah. look at life like that, where it's just, it's always about finding questions to answer which always leads to more questions. I always tell my girls to challenge everything respectfully and to always ask questions. Yeah. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance and always deal from the position of power. Yep. Period. Yeah. And the, the position of power is huge too, because that's, uh, that's something that I pretty much had no concept about mm-hmm. before I met you. Like I, before I met you and I told you, I, my, life plan was to uh just keep teaching martial arts you know maybe my own school one day and i didn't really think about power structures as like this whole psychological and literal thing it was just like okay there's a top-down power structure my sifu taught me kung fu i'll teach my students kung fu that's how power and authority works Mm -hmm. i didn't even think about it beyond that and when i learned how leverage and power actually work and how you can use those things to get further in life in a way that's 
ethical and moral mm-hmm. and not just like malicious, it totally changed my perspective of what I was capable of in the world and the good I was capable of doing. And also that there's different measures of power beyond just, you know, force and money. Mm-hmm. Like being able to build a pool table is a power. Mm-hmm. And you can exchange the use of that power for the money needed to provide for yourself with people who want pool tables. Like I think about uh, the Dragon Slayers a lot and what I kind of consider like my relationship with my customers. And I don't really think of them as customers. I think of them as sponsors and they are people who are agreeing to pay me to make Dragon Slayers with them to show them how to train with them, mm-hmm. to make videos. They're, they're sponsoring my lifestyle of making swords and training with swords. And at the and, same time. Yeah, yeah. So, and because of that, I have a responsibility to do those things to the best of my ability because I have the power to do it. But it's not, uh, it's not like, oh, I make things and I sell them to people. It's people, there's, an, there's a much more equal exchange there in my head than I think what a lot of business owners would look at uh, their their customer owner relationship like, mm-hmm. and they're buying you. They're 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 investing in you. They're investing into your lifestyle. They're investing into um, the knowledge that you can give them behind the item that you're making for them as well. Yeah, it's that that lifestyle that you create when you're posting, when you're you know you're motivating people you know to do things that they don't think that they can do, even if it's down to just you know the most simple the most simple thing you know. You getting on uh, social media or you, uh, and getting on the internet and explaining to people that, uh, you know, they can use this tool and allow themselves to have um, better health. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When they see how healthy you are, when they see your knowledge behind, you know, what you're doing, all that stuff is motivational. So a lot of people, I know speaking for myself. I appreciate the concept that you have a knowledge behind what you're doing, right? Right. For me, it's like the the sword is cool. It's something that obviously nobody is doing. It's, it's a great um, item. But at the same time, when I'm seeing you post things, you're saying, hey, guys, we got this coming out. This is going to help you build your endurance here. Or this is going to help you do X, Y, and Z. I'm the type of consumer where I'm going, he is living what he's selling me. And so many businesses, they they're just trying to make money. They're just it, it doesn't matter what they sell. If they can move volume, they'll move volume. But like yeah. you said, with what you're doing, you care about what you're doing, and you just I know you won't lose sight of the fact that you know it's meaningful to you. But the concept is people see your passion behind it, yeah. and that's always going to be key. Like that's that's always going to be the biggest thing. You actually care about the product. You care about the quality. You care about um, what it can do for you. And you use the item yourself. Yeah, exactly. And putting that stamp, that, that last name on there yeah, is everything. That's that's quality control at its finest because it's like, you know where to find me. Exactly. I remember when I first started a lot of my businesses, um, I used to you know work out of my house. Yeah. And people that were kind of apprehensive, they'll go, oh, well, how do I know? You know, everything's going to look good or, you know, what happens if, you know, you know, I don't like it. And I'm like, you're at my house. You know where to find me. You know what I mean? So putting that stamp on there is like 
they know where to find you, you know? Yeah. So being able to do that shows how much confidence you have in uh, what you're doing. And that definitely, it speaks volumes. Yeah. That's like kind of the level of, of assurance I want to give people. And also it's about holding myself accountable. I'm a, I feel very accountable for but making sure that every I'm a witness. Does, he, he'll have like, a heart attack, not, man. He will, he will lose his shit. Like when there's airs on them and stuff, I'm like, no, 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 this has to get fixed immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, a massive logistical hiccup a few weeks ago that took pretty much like three weeks of my time getting sorted out where mm-hmm. 25 swords got picked up and none of them got scanned into this Completely into the gone. shipping system. Freaking ghost. And I mean, I'm still dealing with like the residual pushback of that. And I'm still checking in with customers and making sure like, Hey, did you get your sword? I don't want this to be in limbo, but uh, it feels because I put my name on it, I feel like I have literally like my ancestors staring down at me, making sure I do the family name justice. And that's a really powerful thing. Um, mentally. Yeah. I met this guy and this is a story about why I changed my business to my last name. It's a weird story. I was working outside of this apartment complex. Like I had an apartment. It was like one bedroom and I was building stuff in the front patio. Yeah. And uh, this guy lived across the street from me or across the uh, walkway. And um, every time he met somebody, he would tell them that uh, he used to be on drugs. His name was Mac. Coolest dude, like worked hard as shit. You can, but you can tell he worked to keep himself busy because he didn't want to like relapse. Right. And um, he, he you know, he, he was super nice, uh, would talk to you. But like I said, anybody he met, he would let them know, yeah, I used to be on drugs. I'm, you know, I'm clean. I'm three years clean. And I, I came up to him one day. I said, hey, man, I said, why? I said, you know, you don't got to tell everybody that you used to be on drugs, man. And I said, why you do that? He goes, oh, you know, it don't matter, man. You know, I, I just tell people, you know, to, to be an inspiration. And for some reason, I kind of I felt like that was kind of BS. And um, one day. I was drinking and uh, I seen him and my uncle, he, he had a, a, a substance abuse, like drinking problem. So you kind of always know if you know somebody that yeah. is recovering, you kind of just put it away. So I ended up putting it away and I think he's seen me do it. Typically, I'm able to do it where you don't notice, but I think right. he's seen me do it. And he came up to me. He goes, I appreciate you doing that. He's like, I'm having a rough night. He goes, you know, I appreciate you doing that. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, it's no problem. And he said, he said, all right, young blood, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I tell everybody that I used to be on drugs and I used to drink because I want to hold myself accountable. Mm. And anybody that meets me, I want them to know that I am recovering because if they ever see me doing it, I want them to be able to stop me. That's huge. And I was just like, damn, that's crazy. So he just was like, that's why I do it. He was like, anybody I meet, I immediately tell them because I want to hold myself accountable. Whenever I think about drinking, whenever I think about smoking, I think about how many people I've told my story to how many people that I have a responsibility to not do what I told them I've uh, recovered from doing. And um, I translated that into my business. 
I'm like, damn, if he can have that much courage to do that and, you know, have that much pressure that, like you said, have the ancestors looking down or the people you meet looking down, like, you know, knowing that, that's deep. So I I took that and I said, you know what? I'm going to name this company after me because it was like, okay, I have that a huge responsibility. Everybody knows where to find me. Everybody knows who I am. And it's, it's such a, it's a, and it's a more gratifying feeling as well. Cause this is like, it's, it's your namesake. A lot of great businesses are uh, last names. McDonald's is the last name. Um, yep. You know, Nordstrom's, Disney. that's a lot. Yeah. Disney, Nordstrom's, all those type of companies, those are last names. So um, yeah, man, I think it's cool. I think it's cool that, uh, you go on that route, yeah. for sure, man. So how and when did the Dragon Slayer come about? Okay, so the Dragon Slayer, uh, the first time I trained with it was in 2019. Mm-hmm. There was a dude I used to train with in Chicago. Uh, he went by the name Wolf. And he had one. Um, it's, it's initially based off of uh, the series Berserk. Really okay. good manga and anime. It's like anime? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, but he had made one out of wood. And uh, we had trained with it a few times. But he kind of had it as like more of a prop. Like we trained with it as a joke. But it wasn't something that he like really seriously did. Mm-hmm. And I tried training with it. And something in me clicked. And I was like, this is so key for strength and conditioning. And mm-hmm. I loved it. So I made my own. I started training with it more and more and more. And then uh, a few years went by and I didn't really do anything with it. I had made a few, I think like uh, summer of 2021 when I got back to Chicago after working with you Mm -hmm. and I sold one to a friend of mine and the other two just like lived in my parents' garage, ended up giving them to a couple other friends. And then uh, my my grandfather passed away November of last year mm-hmm. and he, he had cancer and we found out he had cancer in July of that year. And I was really, really just like down after he passed. Like mm-hmm. even with seeing it coming, like it really hit me suddenly cause he was a huge part of my life. And, um, I needed, something to do and something to do consistently just to pull myself out of the funk I was in. Cause I yeah. was really grieving. And, uh, I ended up settling on, I should say, I ended up choosing to just make consistent progress videos of my training with the dragon slayer. And I think I posted the first video at the start of December and I just started posting daily videos with it. And, uh, the first time one went viral was on the seventh day on TikTok, and it got a few million views. And then I knew, like, oh, there might be something here. So I yeah. kept going. And I started posting them on Instagram, and I started posting them on YouTube. And then I think day 41 or day 43 went viral on Instagram. And then, uh, and that was, you know, five months later. And then YouTube started going viral a couple months after that. So it, it all started to just take off really slow and then really quick but it was uh yeah i mean it was in the wake of a a really tragic event that i just i needed 
I needed this idea of a consistent thing to do mm-hmm. to pull me out of a funk. And that's that's really what it's about. It's not just about giant swords. It's about this idea of consistency and growth. Because I think consistency is probably the single most important trait a person can have mm-hmm. to be successful in any given field. Like uh, the guy, Mac, who was you know, going sober, part of the reason he could stay sober is he consistently mm-hmm. told everyone he was going to be sober. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason you found success in furniture is because you have consistently designed and built furniture, advertised yourself as that, communicated that, and been about it for mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. The reason the swords are taking off is because there's this story of consistency of like, hey, on day one, I could barely swing this thing, but by practicing this day after day over and over and over, suddenly I'm able to move it around like it's a regular sword. A lot of power. Yeah, man. They're cool, man. I, um, I'm I'm waiting for uh, some cool designs like some custom stuff, like the one back here, yeah. Contessa Contour painted some uh, some uh, custom artwork on. And I know your mind is going to, you know, be swirling around. I know you told me you got some ideas. So I'm looking forward to, to some of the, the crazy stuff that you come up with in the future, for sure. Yeah, well, my friend Zach actually did a really cool one where he uh he's a wood burning artist oh yeah he has some of the most impressive artwork i've ever seen he just takes blow torches of all different sizes and just paints on wood with the blow torches it's it's incredible he does portraits dragons flowers everything so um he wood burned painted a dragon slayer and i'm I'm editing the video of all that and getting that posted up on the website soon as well but i want to do more stuff like that because it's there is an art form to making these and to what it can be. And there's something about it. That's just like the, the symbol of just this giant sword. Mm -hmm. It looks like strength. It looks dramatic. It looks cool. And I think there's something about good design. It's the conquering, but to me, like if you can conquer that big beast, that six foot long, 12 inch wide, 20 pound thing. It's just like, it's like, is dominating. If you can dominate that, you just feel you feel stronger just by knowing how to use that joker. I tell you that. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. So it's being able to understand leverage. And there there were a lot of comments I saw where like, you know, like I something about physics and how like I either don't understand it and how it's impossible. And I'm like, the whole point is that I'm doing something that's difficult. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I'm using the fact that physics make this difficult to my advantage. So it's not mm-hmm. like I'm just lifting 20 pounds or I'm and trying to increase the weight. I'm taking something where the physics of the situation make it as difficult as it is. And then from there, I can uh, – lose my train of thought. Very good, man. By overcoming the physics of the situation, that's how I'm building strength rather than just making something heavier. Yeah. So what's next for Ashman Athletics? I mean, the most important thing right now for the business is catching up on sales. Yeah, for and, sure. And just keeping up with the demand. I mean, I I did not expect it to take off as big as it was going to be. That's I a good was thing, not man. prepared for uh, the level of demand and the level of orders I would get. So That's what happens when you put out quality, though. Yeah. And, and when people are, you know, they're investing in you, too. Yeah. 
so I, uh, that's the biggest thing for me right now. Like the very next thing I'm flying to Chicago to make another probably 110, 115 dragon slayers. Jesus Christ. Um, after that, I'll be back in LA making more videos. Um, hopefully being able to come out with more custom swords, more like really realistic replicas of other like swords for anime and manga and video games and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then dropping a few other products as well. I, I posted a video about uh, the Dragonfly Clubs recently, which are uh, my own take on uh, Persian or Indian clubs, which is a huge inspiration for the Dragon Slayer training. It's another form of leverage-based strength training where uh, you have these massive clubs that are swung around and all the weight is on one side. And by using these pendulum-like swinging movements, uh, you can build a lot of strength and stability throughout the full range of motion of the shoulder. That's cool. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like your your development and your growth in the past few years. Like I remember this kid was trying to buy horseshoe. What the fuck? Oh, okay. Well, we, we, can't, we can't give that game away. <laughs> oh shit. That's, so that's it's still too... it's still a thing? Okay. Yeah, that okay. that'll be that'll be down the line. This kid used to have so many ideas, so many interesting things that he was going to do. I remember he bought a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yo, he bought a trailer, and he was like, yo, I'm going to build this trailer. And I was going to help him do it. I mean, we were super busy at the time. But yeah. I'm just thinking about so many things that uh, Tommy kind of rattled around. And it's, it's just like, it's crazy because it's like, you you have to you have to have different things that you do even if you don't completely accomplish it or however the situation works out the tenacity behind trying to figure life out trying to figure out success and continuing to stay very consistent at that is yeah. is, is everything man there was a, a very successful investor who had a background in oil and all kinds of things like that and mm -hmm. I pitched one of my ideas to him for a very large company and he gave me probably some of the best advice I've ever been given. And it was, I have a pretty decent amount of experience working in a lot of different fields, working in fitness, working in logistics, working in carpentry and construction, but I don't have a, my resume as an employee is different than my resume as an entrepreneur. And he told me that rather than trying to build a multi-million dollar business, I should try to build, you know, a six-figure business in a field that I know a lot about. Yeah. So that shifted my focus from like, okay, I just want to do all these grand things to like, okay, I've spent nine years studying fitness. I can create something in this field that I know about and show that I can build that first. And if I can build that into a multi-million dollar company, then from there I can branch out into stuff. Let's just see what I can do with something that I'm an expert in yeah. rather than jumping into a whole new field and just being like, yeah, I can figure this out. Yeah. And that really helped me shift my focus to be uh, more realistic, I would say. What's the best decision you feel like you've ever made in your life? Probably, probably moving into my car. Really? Yeah. Take just taking that leap, just leaving that day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What's the um, worst decision 
the worst decision. I don't know why there's a lot. There's a lot of mistakes. That's a long list to choose from. What's the worst um, business mistake do you think you've ever made? Oh, business mistake? Yeah, worst worst mistake business wise. And it doesn't even have to do with it doesn't even have to be with finances, like just a move I've made that I've been like, oh yeah, that was dumb. Yeah. Um that you would like strongly suggest somebody to look out for, like be careful about. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh staying up all night. There were a lot of mm-hmm. drives I did where I almost died. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, you you obviously know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few people know me know I got in a really bad car accident in his truck, um, <laughs> February first, yeah, twenty twenty one, and a huge part of the reason that happened is because I drove the entire night. It affects your decision making. It affects your response time. It affects your spatial awareness. It really just lowers your ability to perform in every single asset rest or in every single aspect and i have spent so much time operating on little to no sleep and i've seen how it affects me in my decision making and i think the most important decision the most important thing i would change is prioritizing rest and prioritizing yeah just rest yeah because Everything works better when you're well rested. I was telling you that the other day. Yeah. I'm going to go to sleep at 10 o'clock. <laughs> 1 a.m. Tommy's still oh. up working. 3 a.m. Tommy's do still as, Do as I say. Tommy, not as I do with there, you go, I, there you go. Tommy's still at working. Yeah. Well, yeah, the idea that I don't know what I'm capable of. And motivates you. What my limit is. That's deep. Like, there's a... Uh, and that, that also loops back to quests and stuff where it's like I the That's more I find shit. out, the more I, I find out that I don't know, the more I do mm-hmm. and the more I surprise myself, the more I'm like It's well, crazy, I, man. What else can I do? Like Cause it's like you're so young and I'm so I'm so old. Like <laughs> <laughs> that was the the best freaking answer ever. Like what motivates me is like eggs and bacon in the morning at this point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Yo, so I was talking to Tommy yesterday, right? And I'm like, yo, I know things are different, right? He's like, man, you used to be a G. Because, <laughs> like, no, you get to a point to where you understand, like, I grew up when I was 15, you know? Like, yeah. I, I started working at 11. Uh, I left the house when I was 14. I've been with Miss T since I was 15. You know what I mean? So it's like... You know, last time Tommy seen me, I'm running, you know, you know, a big business, got, you know, three shops and all sorts of stuff going on. And I'm walking in, hiring people, I'm firing people. And, you know, and then he comes and visits me and I'm just like walking around the house and wife beaters and shit. <laughs> Letting all the women in the house run the show. And I made a comment to him yesterday. I said, man, women run this household. He goes, yeah. <laughs> I realized that he goes, it's crazy to see you in a position you're in right now. Because 
the cam that I knew, because we didn't see each other for a few years. Yeah. And the cam that I knew before was still running McCorkle Design. Yeah. And you had an, you really understood power on like just how to use just the air of it. And yeah. you just, you walked with the confidence. You would always say exactly what needed to be done. And there, there are even like subtle things that I noticed that like I've taken, like you always said, go ahead and do this. And I do that now. Mm-hmm. Like whenever, whenever I'm talking to someone and I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, they're working for me. Or I'm doing this. I always say, go ahead and do this. Where it's just like, it just, it gives this air of like, I am telling you to do this, mm-hmm. but in a respectful mm-hmm. and permissive way. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, <laughs> now it's like, I mean, I watched your daughter put you in an arm bar not like an you hour ago. So it's like, <laughs> there's also a very stark contrast to our, uh, a very different contrast too. Cause it's like, you're seeing me, in a different uh, um, yeah, the professional setting too. versus the family yeah, setting yeah. is so different. And yeah. the relationship you're going to have with your wife and children yeah. is always going to be different exactly. than you, know, you would have in a professional setting. Exactly. So it's like, not only is it that, it's also like, well, dang, Cam's retired now. Like, it's not too much that I have to do. Yeah. It's not much too, it's, there's not too much position of power I have to do as it relates to going from the carport <laughs> into, <laughs> into the house. Like, you know, so, yeah, it's just funny because it's like that was a great answer, man. Like what you said, what motivates you is not knowing what you can say it again. It, it's not knowing yet what I'm capable of. Yeah. It's see, finding out the unknown. Yeah. See, what motivates me, like I said, just just because I went through life, people, just because I've had so much stuff going on in my life. It's like what motivates me is, you know, it's not some family stuff. Like I said, smelling yeah. breakfast. You know, being able to be around you, being able to see, no, seriously, being able to see you do your thing and and realize all those years didn't go towards, bro, I promise you. Bella is 17 now. Yeah. I've been running a business for the last 19 years. I started my business two years before she was born. I have maybe, with no exaggeration, a very conservative number, have hired 60 to 65 men. Out of those 65, three have been successful. And I shit you not, you're the, you're, you're, you're at least number two as it relates. But you're number two, and the other guy that's number one has been at it for the last 10 years. And you're not that far behind him. He just hit six figures. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's it, it means a lot. It's like, okay, well, damn. Somebody got it. You know, yeah. somebody cared enough. Somebody wrote it down. Somebody understood. Miss T used to always invest in stuff. And she'll go, you need to invest in, you know, stocks. You need to invest. And she was right. I did need to invest in certain things. But I used to always have the saying that I invest in people. That what motivates me, um, aside from me being silly and saying breakfast, is uh, having a positive effect on, yeah. in, on young people such as yourself. Paying it forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that has to be interesting, though, because, I mean, you have you have three daughters. Yeah. Um, they're 17, 16, and 11. Yep. Right? So mm-hmm. what's it like knowing that, like, when you were your youngest daughter's age, you already started working, and you're you're... Do you feel like you're kind of getting to like see a 
totally different perspective on life. I definitely have a different perspective. They get so tired of me letting them know that at their age, I have my own place. I got my own place to 15. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, from, from 15 to 18, I kind of hustled up. I got my first condo at 18. I think I was, um, I, you, you know, the story yeah. I've shown you pictures and, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. Um, it's weird because I, I I used to want them to appreciate life the way I would, but I realized that um they never would, and that's a good thing because I created a life where they would never have to have the stark um yeah. They, they would never have to experience the bad things that I experienced because of the lifestyle me and their mom created for them. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's full circle. Sometimes it's a little annoying because you feel like, oh, you should appreciate this. You should appreciate that. But at the same time, it's like I'm glad that they will never have to appreciate shit the way I have to because they never had to grow up in, in a, a bad situation the way I did. Yeah. But um, it's it's it, right now. Um, it is uh, it's a blessing. Um, sometimes I get a little scary because you can you you can push a kid to do whatever you want them to do, but they're gonna do what they want to do. Hence exactly. your your two year quest or your. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my thing is like I have built something, but it's like now I have to I have to pray that they want it. You know. Like, yeah. you know, me and their mom has to pray that they get it. They they realize, you know, hey, dad was the only, you know, African-American uh, billiard maker in the southeast region. Yeah. You know, like they have to understand that, you know, Tessa, she knows how to build a table um, from start to finish. She's the only African-American woman in the world. Probably. Yeah. No, she is like I. I got a lawyer and had him do research and had paperwork drawn up. Like wow. she is the youngest African American woman who knows how to make a European built billiards table from start to finish. Can you really call it a European built table then? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. I don't know. I have to look into changing that up. Have to look into changing that up. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like, trying to get them to understand the importance of that. They've been around it, man. So it's like, it's nothing to them. Like when they see stuff, you, you, you yeah, like when you grow up with it, it doesn't register as important. To yeah. You. Like, so my, my dad's a general contractor yeah. and he's a, he's an extremely good one. He's yeah. extremely diligent, extremely hardworking. Like when I think about like where my kind of idea of work ethic comes from, a lot of it comes from my father. It's mm -hmm. a huge part of the reason why I put Ashman on everything. Like I'm, I'm really proud to be. Yeah. That's awesome. But I grew up going to his job sites and I didn't even know that there was a stigma around construction workers mm -hmm. that was negative until I was an adult mm -hmm. until I met other construction workers and architects and GCs. And I called my dad and I'm like, yo dad, why are all these guys, you know, assholes? Like mm -hmm. you're, you're great. And he's mm -hmm. like, cause most of them are. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's why I have awards they're from shyster. Ari. Yeah. They're shyster, for the best man. bathroom under $75,000 and best kitchen over 500. That's why I have these mm -hmm. awards. Cause I 
work harder mm-hmm. than these guys. Yeah, contractors. You know, they don't show up. Yep. They, they take people's money. They'll they lie about check. prices. Yep, and never he finished never up. did that. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always assumed that that was a status quo thing. I shouldn't say always. For As a kid, I assumed that the status quo of human nature was honest, diligent, mm-hmm. hard work because that's what my parents displayed. Mm-hmm. But I have um, one of my earliest memories in school was a day – I want to say this is first grade Mm -hmm. where we were just like paired up with other kids in the class and we were just like asked, supposed to like ask questions to each other and stuff. And the first question that was asked was say you're playing a card game with someone and they get up to go to the bathroom. Do you look at their cards and cheat or just wait for them to come back? And with zero hesitation, this kid looks at me, grinning ear to ear, and just goes, cheat. Mm-hmm. And that just sticks with me. I'll yeah. never forget that for the rest yeah. of my life. That, like, this is just like, this was my classmate, and we were kids, so we didn't even, like, know yeah. to like, hide that stuff. And I just remember thinking, no, what, what do you mean? You, you play fair. Yeah. And that interaction made me realize that like most people why well, I, I shouldn't say most i thought he was a more rare case mm-hmm. that i thought that was like a one in a hundred thing no like that's that's a I lot of i people can't tell you how many times fair. i had to tell tommy that this world is not pretty yeah tommy would do deliveries and he'll come back and he'll go i didn't know it. i'm like man i'm telling you you have to have authority people will when you're a good person it's, so it's, it's harder to be a leader when you're a good person. And it's because you have a good heart. Yeah. And the hardest part about a good person as a leader is having to continuously remind themselves that everybody is not as, um, I'm trying to use a better word, but everybody doesn't think the way they think. Everybody is not as good as you. Yeah. And that was one. That was another reason, you know, why I liked you because it was like, at, at, on the whole, you're a very even killed, and you're a very honest person, and you're a very. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a a good word. You were astute when it related to something that would project you in any way other than what you did not want to be projected. Like you knew enough about yourself to make sure that you explained what it is you were about or what it is you went through very well. Thank you. And I I liked that because like you said, it was kind of like, and it probably goes down to that moment you just shared. Cause it's like some people go through that where they realize you know, this is going to, you know, change the course of my life. I kind of had a similar situation I talked about in the earlier podcast where this guy, he goes, we were arguing back and forth and he said, I know I didn't do it. And not because I remember the situation, but because I know who I am as a person. And I think I've said that to you before. I I told you before, I said, you know, you're a man when you can remember um, if you've done something or not, not because you remembered a particular situation, but you know the content of your character. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 
those are things again that you exhibited. So it's just like it's it's all full circle, man. It's it's interesting. My next question to you is <clears throat> where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I I like that question because it's a good job interview question. Mm-hmm. Right now, I really don't know. I mean, it's I I don't know if I spend as much time thinking about where I see myself, whereas where I see my projects. Mm. I spend a lot more time thinking about Ashman Athletics than I do about Tommy Ashman, I should say. So realistically, I'd say hopefully uh, running this company and one or two more in a very efficient and effective manner. Yeah. You know, five years from now, I'll be 30. Um, I really don't know. There, there's a lot that could happen that time. I mean, I'm, I could, I could be married in five years. I could have a kid in five years. Who knows? But like, yeah. I'm a document this. I'm a document. I'm glad we're recording where I see Tommy in five years. There's one or two ways this is going to probably go down. Ashman Athletics, well, it's weird. Either way, in five years, Ashman Athletic, it'll be a household name, period, either way. Thank you. You're welcome. But where I see him, either he's just turned into, what's what's the guy with the ball head, with the brother? Oh, damn, what's his name? Damn, Tate. Oh God. Oh no. <laughs> he's Andrew. I, I couldn't go. Uh, he's Andrew Tate. He's he's experienced so much stuff from success that he's just in Dubai somewhere, just <laughs> with like 30 chicks on the top of a penthouse doing push-ups from a golden rod over oh, with nunchucks over a over like a I don't know, an infinity pool. With some quote like going balls deep tonight and has like two weights hanging from his nutsack. <laughs> or, 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 or he is somewhere in the forest taking pictures, hiking, doing some straight God body Buddha stuff with a wife and a kid and is worth like billions because he just sold the company that like, sounds a lot more like me it's gonna be either or no nah, they both sound like <laughs> 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 Those are either or it's either or I, I i promise you mark this day five years it's either or yeah, I can see that. I mean, hopefully in five years, I'll have gotten to do a lot more traveling. Um, I got to, I've been fortunate enough to have gotten to travel a lot of America um, during the pandemic, but also because yeah. of the pandemic, I didn't get to see the world. And it's funny because at the start of this year, I was absolutely convinced that when the lease I was on ended in September, I was going to sell all my furniture sell most of my things, pack a backpack and take a one-way ticket to Southeast Asia and mm-hmm. begin just backpacking there and traveling go. the world. That sounded about right. That's the and, Tommy I know. But here's the thing. I was 
absolutely convinced of that. Mm-hmm. And then my company took off. Yeah. And now it's, you know, the end of October and I'm still here in America. So when the question of like, where am I going to be in five years? It's like, you know, I really don't know because yeah. so much could happen yeah. that I'm not, I couldn't even imagine happening. So it's, it's less about like where I'll be and more about who I'll be. And I hope that who I'll be is someone who first and foremost, that I maintain my integrity and consistency of character, of course, but that I'm uh, myself, but much more knowledgeable, much more wise and ideally much more successful. Mm -hmm. And that I, as I get more successful, I can define success for myself more. I and think. that's important because defining success is the first step to having it. Um, one of the conversations I've had with one of my good friends uh, in LA, uh, my friend Sean, he's the guy with the Buster Sword. If you've yeah. probably seen his videos, if you've seen mine, but um, you know, we we've had a few conversations recently about defining success and like you know how much money does success mean? And he's kind of like, well, I don't know. I mean, more money is always good. And I'm like, no, dude, you think about it like there's it's a math problem it's if you want to be able to afford two cars three kids a house based on your location you can put a price tag on that lifestyle how much it costs per year for the next 40 years of your life Mm -hmm. how much it costs to put your kids through good schools it's a number yeah and how much money you need to make to have that number and then also how many hours a week do you want to spend working so then you can you can really make a math problem out of it Mm -hmm. and but also how do you want to spend your daily waking hours and what do you want to do with that and that's i think about success a lot like that and right now i'm in a place where i really enjoy uh my friend nate called it monk mode the (laughs) other night where it's just like i'm just putting my head down and working and it's probably what at least another six months of my life is going to look like of just doing this really consistently while I just try and grow this company into something that can stand up on its own. But I was only supposed to do my company for a year. Yeah. It turned into 20. <laughs> yeah. My first year, I think I, I think I, I think I stopped. So, I, so the first year Bella was, my first year, I didn't make nothing. I did, but I didn't. It was like, you know, my rent was like 350 375 or something like yeah. that. So I made enough. Well, okay, so I'll say... 350 375 Yeah, I was paying $375 for a one-person apartment. Man, you're old as shit. I yeah, never, right? I've never paid that little for I'm rent. I'm telling you, man. That, that much for rent, it's like... Yeah. That's a, that's a storage locker in yeah, LA. Man. Yep. Yep. And uh, shit, I'm trying to think. I may have made... $20,000 that year. Wow. The second year, um, I remember I made enough money to buy a house. <clears throat> it was a piece of shit, though. Like, I had to redo everything, but I was in woodworking, so it wasn't a big deal. So that second year, I told you the story. The guy tried to rob me, all that craziness. Yeah. We moved up to Ackworth. I think um, I may have made uh, $60,000 that year. I bought the house for $30,000. Um, I spent like a whole year renovating it, getting everything together. And then I said, okay, well, I'm going to do one more year. And I had a game plan of like building like 
at the time I was doing dining tables and couches. So I'm just like, I'll do one more year. I'll make 150,000. I'll buy some land and I'll, you know, rent a house out. And that was, that was going to be my thing. I was going to buy a house and rent it. And then that was going to be enough to, you know, live. Cause yeah. I had already owned my home and, you know, that turned into, I think that year I may have made a hundred and fifty and I did it in maybe four or five months. And I'm just like, well, damn, I keep going. And then just kept going and kept going. But I mean, like you said, you you never know how it works out, man, because if the money starts coming and it it starts getting lucrative, um, you're going to stay in it as long as, as long as you, as long as you, uh, you don't get over, you know, you don't overextend yourself, but yeah, it can definitely change from six months to, uh, a very long time, man. But that's for sure. Yeah, it was crazy because, like, I went so without getting too personal. I so I I used to make a lot of money when I was younger from reading books, <laughs> and, and uh, that year it may have been that first year from doing furniture. Uh, that was when I told, I think I may have told you the story about like, yeah, kind of just was like, Hey, I can't do this no more. And I went through like two years of hell. Just like, I call it like karma, like where I, I just, I felt like I couldn't move. I felt like I was getting paid back for everything I did in life. Like everything came down on me, but I was willing to take it cause you, we put you so, and, um, but I had experienced financial success so early that it was like, you know, once I kind of got through that storm and kind of rebuilt and started over, I was okay with just having the house, you know, having something I can rent out and, and letting that be that. But, uh, but yeah, man, I think it's all, um, success and all that stuff is, it's all, um, perspective. Like you said, it's all based on, you know, what you want to accomplish and, uh, how you see yourself getting there. But, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's a it's an interesting thing um, to go through life, like I said again, and and see you kind of at you know, like you said I'm old as shit, so it's like I'm seeing you at that stage where I was at. Nah, you're not you're not actually old as shit. You still got. I'm I'm up there. I feel like it, man. I feel like it. I'm up there. I'm ready to chill, man. Like I said, I, I'll do a few more things, you know. That may be fun to me, you know, the YouTube stuff, yeah, you know, that type of stuff. But yeah, I think yeah. I think you're gonna chill for a year, maybe two at most, and then you're gonna get bored, and then you're gonna get hungry, and then you're gonna do some big shit again. We'll see. I mean, Colonel Sanders didn't start t- KFC till he was sixty-two. Damn. Yeah. 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 We'll and see. Have you seen? Have you heard of Vital Farms? Mm-mm. It's a it's a four hundred and fifty million dollar egg company. I think the guy was 58 when he started it. Dang. It's it's huge in, in California. Dang. But this guy, I think he's tried starting 50 different businesses throughout his life. None Shit. of them worked. And he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to raise chickens. Eggs. eggs. And, that's, and that's now, it's, now it's a nine-figure company. Jesus Christ. So and he's yeah. 20. He's got almost 20 years on you. So it's like. Yeah, we'll see. Right Never now, know, right now, man, I'm ready to not do a damn thing. <laughs> What's what is your best place to be? Best place to be. There's a spot in uh, 
the forest preserve by the house I grew up in where this tree fell into a, I guess it's kind of in between a lake and a pond. Mm-hmm. It's called the Skokie Lagoon. There, there's a spot where a tree fell into it. Mm. And I can go out on this log and be like 30 feet out in this lake and just sit out there. It's probably yeah. my favorite spot. That's cool. Your, um, what's your favorite shoe? Favorite shoe? All times, like. All times. If you had to wear it every day. Suit to work out in, go out on a date. Got to get married in it type situation. Man, you know, you know, I'm a sneakerhead, so I gotta ask that yeah. question. I mean, so, something versatile like that. I probably just like uh, a good, like black or white sneaker, flat yeah. sole. Yeah, a particular brand. No, I don't. I do not know enough about shoes to yeah. to okay. make an educated comment on that. Um, but that's the thing. Like for everything for, to get to get married, and I'm gonna wear some dress shoes to work out in. You know, I'd like something. Air Jordan uh, Retro Four all the way. See, I can get married in those. I will put a suit on in those. I will go for a walk. I will go jogging. I will meet the president. And some Air Jordan Retro Fours, particularly the black and red OG joints. See, the thing is, Jordans hurt my feet. Really? Yep. All of them are just the ones you wore. Like, there's different. They have different designs. All the ones that I've wore hurt my feet. Mm. But I like, um, like, I really like wearing Converse. That would probably be my answer. It's a nice pair of Chuck Taylors. Yeah, But those hurt my feet, too. And I'm really starting to prioritize shoes with a wider toe box Mm -hmm. because as I've learned more about, like, how our feet actually evolve. I've, I've experienced like some plantar fasciitis in my life, mm-hmm. which is like pain in the arch of the foot and heel. And I think a lot of that is, is I wear shoes with the narrow toe box that compress your toes together like this. And your toes are supposed to be able to spread out. You should be able to move them individually. And I haven't prioritized my foot health mm-hmm. as much as I have other things that I've noticed that in starting to train my toes and, wearing more open-toed shoes, going barefoot more, um, my feet have started to feel a lot better. That's cool. So we're about to wrap up, but I got, I, I usually ask this question to anybody I interview. What would you tell your 15 or 16 year old self right now so and what would you tell the 15 year old kid that's watching this that's you know looking at this 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 guy who's you know 25 years old creating a company out of nothing six figures doing it the right way honest like you said morally correct um and they're looking at you and they're going i want to be that one day like, what do you tell that kid? There's a lot of things. Um, first, I would say the end of your childhood is the start of your life. Hmm. Uh, when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, I had this kind of feeling that, like, it was almost over. And I had such a, a negative connotation with the idea of growing up that like it was just going to be work and responsibility and all these negative things because that's a lot of what I had been 
told by school and by my parents and I couldn't be more wrong. I love being an adult so much more than being a kid. Um, that the more everything lies on the other side of discomfort, take risks, go do things as soon as possible and as much as possible because time really does fly. And um, 15-year-old me uh, was, was struggling with mental health a lot. I probably tell him that it gets better and to not be so attached to the circumstances that I'm in because they are going to change. And even if it feels like it's taking forever, there's going to be a day when um, they aren't that way anymore. Um, and probably to take, make the most of I to make the most of every situation I'm in in whatever that means and use my creativity to come up with that rather than wasting any time sulking about it, just figure out what I can do and what I could do in those situations. Cause there's a lot of things where I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I spent more time reading. I wish I spent more time training. I wish I tried this hobby when I had the opportunity to. So I would, I would say more things like that. The more, and to, a, to any 15-year-old, if you have an opportunity to learn something, anything, if there's an adult in your life that's doing something and they invite you to do it, whether it's working on a car, working on a house, doing carpentry, just learn it. Say yes to any opportunity to learn something you don't know because I guarantee you that experience will pay itself back infinitely in years to come. And there's so many times where like, I think about things I learned when I was learning Kung Fu or when I was learning carpentry or when I was running a logistics company that now apply to me now, or even working in hospitality, working as a lifeguard, all these things that just like, Oh, I learned this six years ago, you know, but now I'm thinking about it and it applies to a situation I'm in directly. So really just experience your life fully um try to spend time with people of all ages and see how how different life can get for people like there are people who from the time they were born till now have never had an experience that's even similar to what your life experience looks like and the only way you're ever going to know that is if you go out and talk to them and listen to them and learn about it. Like there's, there's been situations where I've been, I've had people tell me that I'm the first person who showed them kindness in two years. I've had people, I've had a lot of people tell me I'm the first Jewish person they've ever met. Um, I had a situation when I was like 16 or 17 where I was on the train in Chicago and I met these black kids and they said I was the first white person they had met. And that up until they met me, they just like, thought white people were racist and they didn't like them and they met me and they're like oh he's he's pretty cool yeah so and he tagged that kid texted me like three years later and told me that and i was just like, i have no idea so diversity of experience is probably one of the most important things you can do especially at the age of 15. don't prioritize making money and financial wealth over wealth of character and the character that just diversity of experience um 
experiencing and pushing through various types of hardship, learning skills, that's worth so much more than money because money can be taken away. No one can take away your experiences. If you learn a trade, no one can take it away. And if you know people, you build a relationship, no one can take that away from you as well. Thank All you. right. Last question. And then we're going to wrap this up. <clears throat> Who is Tommy Ashman? <clears throat> Tommy Ashman is a man on mission. And what that mission is doesn't always need to be the same thing. But what's important is that I'm a man who is doing something intentfully and fully. And whatever field I find myself in, whatever situation I find myself in, I am someone who does it with the integrity of my being. Steve, this has been my humble opinion. You've been talking to Thomas Ashman at Ashman Athletics and Cam's Brain. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time, Sunday at 8 p.m. Peace. Peace. A lot of people have asked if you would take $500,000 or dinner with Jay-Z. I think I would take the 500000 I know some people will also say that they would take the dinner. I think both are all based on your fiscal ability. I think the concept of being interactive with somebody who can give you more knowledge if you are not already financially stable and have a business sense would be greater than you taking $500,000 and trying to create something um, on the whim. The reality of it is knowledge is always going to be power. It's always going to be better to have an opportunity. It's always going to be better to have an opportunity opposed to uh, finances. One thing I have learned, if you are able, if you learn how to make money, you'll always be successful. So for instance, if I make $500,000, but I lose it all today, that's okay, because I know how to make the 500000 back. A lot of people that fail, the failure behind it allows them to be able to get back up. And if you have a good recipe for being able to get back up from things like that, it's always going to be better than getting a handout. So I would say to be very cautious in your decision to just take money if you don't know necessarily how to use money. The use of money is very important. The saving of money is very important. And knowing how to get money is very important. If I can have a conversation with somebody that can tell me how to make millions of dollars, would you take $500,000? If you can have a conversation with somebody that can tell you how to make billions of dollars, would you take a million dollars? I think it's all based on perception.